0: The following sermon was delivered in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org.
1: I know a lot of
0: you from years past. I've been in and out here uh, over the last 25 years. Um, Frank is my last surviving mentor, and I'm glad he's still here. A couple of those guys that you know uh, died young and I'm glad Frank's getting, by God's grace, a more normal lifespan, and I'm hoping to have him around for a long time. I enjoy having lunches with him every month or so, and we talk theology and just have a great time and just really relax and a blessing. Uh, As some of you know, uh, Frank has walked me through very deep waters in past years, and he's really helped me to keep my eyes on Christ because he is a lover of Christ, and he knows where the help and hope is, and so we're going to talk about that Christ this morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. And as we look at this, this 1 Peter text, I'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Um, you'll see in a few moments, uh, after a few introductory comments, we'll read the text. You see, though, soon that Peter is describing uh, a material that we're composed of, and it's related to the material our Lord is composed of, and it's a metaphor, of course. But the material is stone. Uh, we're going to be talking about the living stone, our King, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This morning, we hope to make much of Him together. This morning, we're also going to talk about the reality of being living stones, the blood-bought ones by His grace. That's us. We're living stones, and all of us are being knit, built, mortared, cemented together into what we call the spiritual building, which is called the church. So, it is my privilege to pastor a church in Livermore, Gateway Church, and it's also my privilege to be here in another part of Christ Church Calvary Community, which is very near and dear to me. The church is ever so much larger than its local expression. So, if you think you're the church and this is all there is, you are sadly mistaken. I didn't recognize you at first, Frank, and it's so nice to see you again. He, this guy gives me a pat and he's got all this hair, and I'm like, I've never seen him with hair, but I'm glad to see you, brother. Um, The church is big, and it's broad, and it's blood-bought, and and it's wonderful, and it's lasting and eternal. It has a durative nature and quality to it, and it's stone. It's it's always going to be here. So we're thankful for that. I have been thinking a bit about stone this last week, and I was thinking about attributes, qualities of stone. What's neat about stone is it has permanence. It's tough. And it's hard, and it's dense, and it's weighty. And it has in its possession just intrinsically an almost indestructible nature. I will tell you on the authority of God's Word, Christ the living stone, we as His followers, the living stones, we are indeed indestructible. We will live forever. We just came out of the Easter Sunday and the Good Friday and all that celebration. And that's what should be impressed upon us with great force, import, impact. We live forever. Because of Christ, and that is such good news. Um, stone has been the the choice material to build things that are lasting in nature. Architectural projects have been using stone for centuries, millennia. I've been in Rome. I've seen the Colosseum, with the exception of a little damage from the acid rain, is still there, and it's big. And I've been to Greece. I've been to the Acropolis, the Parthenon, uh, except for the Turks using it for a you know storage depot for explosives other than that little incident in the 1500s, it's still in pretty good shape. Uh, It's just amazing. Stone is costly. Stone is labor-intensive to build with. It's difficult to shape. You don't grab a piece of stone like you would your kids play-doh and mold whatever you want out of it. It takes a lot of energy and effort. I think the image of stone is rich with regard to how well it illustrates the realities that are associated with the gathering of Christ's people to become part of His spiritual house. If, you, if you've been a believer for any length of time, you've gone through some ups and some downs and some all-arounds, have you not? There's been good seasons, there's been bad seasons, there's been in-between, indifferent seasons. All of these things characterize a warp and woof of the Christian life. But being that we're living stones, we're not abandoned, we don't, fall to the wayside, do we? We're still here. We're remaining. We're permanent. And we'll ever be so by God's grace. We are what the Bible teaches. We are the new temple of the Lord, the habitation for His Spirit. We are the church. Uniquely, one and another gathered together. So with regard to this new temple, we know certain things. Jesus, again, is a living stone. And Peter, in our morning's text, calls him much more than that. He calls him the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone, the spiritual corner, the plumb line, that stone which marks out the parameters and the height and depth and breadth of the spiritual house, which the Bible calls his people. And here we are, part of them. And we, as his people, his followers, again, we are called the living stones as we come to him in saving faith. Each one unique individual has an important placing in the spiritual house of the Lord. And this is a house that's built up by each and every one of us, embraced once more by grace through faith. So I think the language of our text is rich. I think its encouragements are wonderful. Let me read this text in your hearing. And I'll tell you where we're going to go together this morning. So I invite you, First Peter chapter 2, we'll be looking in particular at verses 4 through 8. And I'm going to put my eyes on because your pulpit light isn't as good as the one I have at home. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Let's pray and ask the blessing of the Lord on his word. Father, we do indeed ask for that blessing upon your word. You're forever settled in the heavens word by which we are saved, by which we are encouraged, by which we find blessing. Father, would you please uh, care for the words that come from my mouth? May they be accurate. May they be reverent and true. May they bring life to this sister church who we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Four uh, points together this morning. Verse four, Christ, the living stone. If you're a note taker, this is for you. I'm not. I don't appreciate when preachers do this to me, but for you who are, first point, Christ, the living stone, verse four. Second point, verse five. Christians, the living stone. Third point, verse 6, all the previous, the work of the Lord. And lastly, verses 7 and 8, a quick look at belief and unbelief. So let's begin. First point, Christ, the living stone. Verse 4 once more. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now you know as well as I do that it is only in the coming... The coming to Christ whereby men may find life. This is where the lost get found. This is where things change. Hearts are renewed, made from being hard, hard stone to soft play in the hands of the Lord. And we like that when that happens. We've been changed. Christ, you see, is that living stone who alone has a power to grant life to those who come to him in faith. You cannot do this by yourself. It is impossible. He must undertake for you. I trust all here know this wonderful living stone, and indeed are His living stones today. The need to come, which is in our text and in other texts, is poignantly, powerfully illustrated by the mouth of our dear Lord in Matthew 11. And there we read in verse 28, where Jesus Himself says, Come to Me, come, come. To me, he says, get over here and pay attention to what I'm saying. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a good rest. He continues, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And I have had 35 years of having the yoke of Christ on my shoulders. And it is indeed a wonderful yoke to have. And you know this if you know Christ. You see, only in coming to Christ can a troubled soul find peace. This term for coming has some nuance. It it has a sense of drawing near with the intentionality of remaining near. Remaining very close. It just... Close. When I walk with my wife, sometimes we hold hands and, and we lock our fingers together for a little bit until I get her too sweaty. She says, I need to let go, I'm too sweaty. But we're close. We like to walk with each other. Uh, it's a term that it describes an intimate, durative fellowship. You know, it won't be broken. Draw near. Come to me, our Lord says. You see. Christ in Christ alone is that eternal, incorruptible, unchanging, everlasting, and indestructible living stone. And He makes us the same way by virtue of our identity with Him. You see, Jesus is special, He's unique. Jesus is the stone that's alive and everlastingly so. He is the living stone. In the Old Testament describes God Himself as the rock upon which His people may depend. I'm thinking of Deuteronomy 32 and the Song of Moses. And, and Moses is saying, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our gods, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. This is our rock, the Lord God Almighty, and his Son, the Godman, the monogamous, the only begotten Christ, is our rock too. We have something of substance to stand on, and when we stand on him, we have substance too. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, Paul is warning the Corinthians, don't walk in, a, in apostasy as those Israelites did in the desert. And then remember that account, then their bodies were scattered all over. And he writes there in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 10, quote, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. I had this kind of metaphor in my mind of this stone, you know, rolling around 40 years, you know. But, but, but there's something greater than that, and mightier than that. It was Christ. And whatever manifestation he needed to occupy, he was with them, caring for them in a variety of ways. And so many stories, the rock was with them. So Paul, along with Peter, is communicating the reality that Jesus is the living stone that provided the Israelites the water they needed in their wanderings in the desert, thus preserving their lives. We were out not so long ago, a couple of grandsons and I, and we were, I bought a little Kubota compact tractor, and we were digging holes, right guys? Remember? I taught Austin how to run a backhoe, and he is a whiz. If you need backhoe work done, call him. He knows. We're out there working, and it was hot. And we worked all day long, and we needed a drink from time to time. so said, guys, keep drinking. Remember? Let's get a drink. Let's keep this going so we can keep working. We put in a full day. Life is like that. We need to go to Christ, the font of living water, everlasting water. And we need to drink regularly from what he offers us but we're just not going to want to do the work anymore. We're not going to have the wind in our sails and the strength in our muscles. We need to go and drink deeply from the things of Christ. It's just so basic. The water literally burst forth from the rock of the desert in that Old Testament account. And the water will literally burst forth from the pages of these books if we just take the time to stick our nose in there. We're wise, that's what we'll be found doing with regularity. I have to ask you this morning. Is Christ to you your living stone? Is he the one to whom you've run to find everlasting life and strength for your journey? If you haven't run to him, you're not going to have the strength for the journey. And when you get to the end of the journey, you will find separation from all that is good. You must run to this wonderful living stone. Be not hard-hearted, but believe. just so important. We need to trust in this chosen and precious Son of God. He alone is the rich rich treasure of the Lord given to his own. He's what we need. All right, let's look at verse 5. Christians, the living stone, secondly. Reading there. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you indeed believe? If you believe, and if you have come to Him, you are now called a living stone, a believer. One more stone in the wall of faith. When I was 19, I was a weightlifter and I used to love to go into the garage and hit it. And I got pretty hard of body in those days, but I am much harder of heart now in a good way with Christ. I like being with Him. He makes me feel strong. My body is not near as hard as it was those 40 years ago. But My heart is much more durative and much stronger. I've been working through 1 Peter at home, so I'm confessing that this is a a rehash of something I did a couple months ago with slight changes. And one of the commentators I really like in 1 Peter is a Scott brother named Robert Layton. And he writes about the stones, these living stones. He says, these stones come to their foundation. The soul is moved to come to Christ through the Spirit the will acts, but is actuated and drawn by the Father. No one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. John six sixty five. 65. Leighton continues, says, the outward means of drawing is the Word. And once united to Christ, believers are built up and grow into a holy temple. If you've been walking with Christ for any length of time, you know this to be true of you. You know where the power is, and you know the power, it's exerted over your life. It's been comprehensive, and it is still transforming you. Sounds like Ephesians 2, does it not? Where the Apostle Paul says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Here we are being built up once more by the Word. That's what we're doing this morning. That's why I came. been praying. Frank and I were texting earlier this morning. Well, hope we can be an encouragement to the different churches. Yeah, that's what I'm praying. God bless you. God bless you. We'll talk later, see how it went. Mysterious work building up the church. Friends, all believers are being polished, they're being fitted to perform a spiritual work. And this work is eternal, and it's unique, and it's personal, and it's individual, and as each one of us as members of the spiritual house, together, submit ourselves to the agency of what God has revealed. Through His Spirit. Little longer quote by my my Scotsman, Robert Layton. He writes, "Consider it your happiness to form part of this building, and consider the empty nature of other comforts and privileges. You could be doing other things this morning, right? But you came here. Why was that? I suspect this is be your happiness." This is your happiness. You would be happier doing this than doing anything else, right? I know I would. I I hate it when I miss the Lord's Day. It's not very often. Leighton continues, Happy indeed are those God chooses to be living stones in this spiritual house or temple. Even though they are hammered and hewn in order to be polished for it through afflictions and the inner work of mortification and repentance, it is worth enduring Everything in order to be made suitable for this building. Such people are happier than all others, even though they are not laden with honors, kingdoms, or wealth. For all other buildings and all the parts of them will be demolished and will come to nothing from the foundation to the coping stone. All your houses, both cottages and palaces, the elements will destroy by fire, Second Peter 3.10. But this spiritual building will grow up in heaven. And when it has been perfected, it will abide forever in beauty and glory, and it will be found nothing impure and no unclean people. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation twenty one twenty seven. See why I like this guy? His mind is just way up here. He's sinking these huge thoughts of God. We're going to meet him. Folks, this is what we are. And this is what we'll yet be. And it will be what we one great day always and ever will experience without interruption. It doesn't get any better than this for we who are part of the Lord's building. In the interim, though, in the interim, as we wait the consummation of these things, we are called to be, quote, a holy priesthood, unquote. Now that's a wowser. We are those who are specially set apart by God, for God, to render services to His purposes. We're a holy priesthood. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, that theme is echoed. There we would read, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. Think about that. Meditate. Musitate. I got a new word. Musitate and, and mice. That would work, right? No. Meditate. Muse. Reflect, be overwhelmed at the immensity of the honor and privilege that is ours as the people of God in the exercise of this office of priesthood, His representatives, His intercessors. Because we're freed from sins, and now we're called to a service. There's a work to be done. There are spiritual sacrifices we as His priests are to be offering in a variety of ways. Don't miss this. You're called to this. You're saved to do this. There is a ministerial work that is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ that can only be performed if you're one of His priests. It sounds like Ephesians 2.10 to me. For we have his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared before, and that we walk in them. Anybody that's known me for a while knows that I I just love wearing that verse out. It doesn't wear out to me. That verse tells me there's a reason for me to still be breathing here. And when I stop breathing, my work is done. There's a day appointed where my work will be done, and yours too. In the meantime, we're his priests looking for work to do, which he prepared beforehand that we walk in it. And when that's all done, we get to go home. You might ask, well, what exactly are those acceptable spiritual sacrifices? What are those things? Before we get into details and particulars, let's mention something else. You see, anything and everything that we are privileged to engage in by our grace-enabled priestly efforts is rooted in and fueled by our union with Jesus Christ, our great high priest. So why would I mention that before getting into particulars? Because he's going to get the glory for the whole of it, and we're going to get the sense of his pleasure, and that's enough. What do you have that you didn't first receive? And the answer, the class said, nothing. Not one little thing. He gets all the glory, and we get the sense of his pleasure. What I'm trying to say is, all our works of mercy, our works of service, our works of intervention, our works of activity, any and all of these things are rendered through Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ, for the glory of Jesus Christ, and for the sense of His pleasure in our lives. It just doesn't get any better. The lower we think of ourselves and the higher we think of Him, the happier and healthier we will be. It always works that way. We should be humbled by the privileged position we possess as living stones to serve our King and to serve His church, His spiritual building. We should be excited about this. We should be diligent. The gratitude attitude should be fueling all of our efforts and energies. We're being what we are by grace. A cup of cool water to others in grace and as yet not in grace. We do all probably collectively bemoan the status of the broader evangelical church. There's a lot that's wrong with it. Tremendous things are wrong with it. But there are sweet, solid, little, Bible-saturated, depending churches like ours scattered all around, and we can have encouragement there, great encouragement there, the evangelical church, you recall, is rooted in this Greek term, the euangelion, which means the good news. And we hold on to the good news. The good news is all we have. All right, so what is this priestly service we are to be about? Well, here's this pithy of an answer from scriptures I know of. Romans 12, first two verses. Appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... And we're talking about your priestly service. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Where does mind transformation occur? Where does it occur? Right here, right? Sixty-six books of mind transformation. There's power here. There's power here. Friends, faithful priestly service, faithful priestly sacrifice is made possible only by the mercies of God as he reveals through the agency of his spirit the content of this book to your soul and then turn your affections to go and do likewise. It's just that simple, and it's just that mysterious, and it's just that powerful. And so, those of you who are note-takers, I want to give you a few few texts. Just real quick, I'm just going to blot, blot them out here, and you write them down if you want to. Uh, things that will really help you in your service. So, short list, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 6. All three of them, they're loaded 1 Corinthians 13 is exceptional. 1 Timothy 6, 2 Timothy 4, and the whole book of James and all of 1 John. If you camp out there for a while, you are going to be changed by this marvelous, changing spirit. Anyway, that's for free. So again, our obedience to the commands of the Lord and His Christ and our success in our service is made possible only by His transforming grace. In the Word, it's the Word that's the conduit for that grace. So if you get into the book, you'll find yourself being changed. And if you're not in the book, you're going to feel a little flat and maybe a little bit discouraged from time to time. So get into the book. It's the first question I ask the man at Gateway. So, we're getting together for our coffee and stuff. last time you are in the Word? And if I get the kind of glazed look or the kind of slight turn of the head, I have a problem. problem is revealed. Are you all with me? in the book. All right, let's look at our third point. All of these things, have been kind of saying it, the work of the Lord. Verse 6, and there we read. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Friends, this stone that the prophet references is clearly revealed as one that is to be trusted, embraced, the one who is found so trusting, so embracing, this stone, it says he'll never be put to shame. I was a mechanic for United Airlines for 14 years, and I pastored some the last four of those years in conjunction, busy days. And I was the unofficial pastor of a, a hydraulic shop and a pneumatic shop and a Constant speed drive shop, and there were about like three hundred guys there, and and there were times when you could just tell there's a very deliberate agenda. Let's go pick on the Christian. Let's go mock him. Let's go find something to get his riled up, or trip him up, or make him look foolish or dumb. And that was always a, a good stretch. That was great training for ministry because it happens in the church too, right? And so, but I, I love these guys, and. A lot of these guys would have a real problem. And when they could see nobody else was looking, they'd come over to my bench. You go, ah, what do you, what do you think about this? And sometimes I had an opportunity to minister. See, while they were trying to shame me in some venues, there was still something going on a little deeper that they recognized, this guy might have a little something worthy of offering. They're always afraid of the shame. You don't want to be too overt about that. And in, with Christians, too, I've seen from time to time there's this kind of stepping back in the face of adversity or the face of a potential embarrassment by worldly people that they're in close contact with. Jesus tells us in his word, if you trust in me, you believe, you'll never be put to shame not from the perspective analysis that really matters, the eternal perspective. That's the only one that matters, right? You'll never be put to shame following Christ the King in the big picture scenario, which is the only picture that really matters for us. There's work here, and there's ample reminder that heaven is not here. Yes and amen? Everything going your way? I know it's not. I'm glad you came here today. The stone that this prophet references, he is to be trusted. And then if you trust him, you won't be put to shame. So to me, as I look at this text and try to draw application, that sounds like the language of acceptance and forgiveness to me. No shame. You're accepted. I walk into the Dolkovich house any time. I don't care what I interrupt. I'll be welcomed. And they're busy. If any family had reason to be, hey, what are you doing here? You didn't call first? I do They won't. It'll be okay. And it's vice versa. Most of the time. Every time, really. We're accepted. We're forgiven. No shame. Think about that. See, men need to be warned. And here Peter is, he's faithfully warning them. For so many have placed their trust in the wrong things. And a misplaced trust in the wrong things will incur shame and judgment and separation from all that's good, wonderful, and lovely. There'll be nothing good to experience in hell. Just shame, just separation, sadness, and the sense I messed up. I messed up really badly. Our text says, This truth, quote, stands in Scripture, unquote. And Peter is citing an Old Testament text from Isaiah 28 to build the case that this is the only place where people should place their trust. And you know what was going on there, right? Peter states, that this stone, this strong, secure, durable foundation, which is Christ, had long ago been selected and placed in position by our Lord. The plan was thought up. And the implementation was coming. But its placing, its implementation, according to Calvin, was done, quote, only in hope. Back in Isaiah 28, only in hope for Christ had not yet been revealed and had not fulfilled the office of a Redeemer. On this account, the prophet speaks of it as a future event. We have the benefit of history to look back and see the cross and see that event. We know it's been fulfilled. That chapter in Isaiah that's cited, you recall that was was Isaiah calling out Judah by the, the word of the Lord because Judah had made a sinful alliance with Egypt. And in that text, he states they have, quote, have made lies their refuge, and, quote, in falsehood, they have taken shelter. Prophet prophet's telling them, you're blowing it. Your trust is in the wrong place. You were not commanded to go to Egypt. You were commanded to rest in the Lord alone. You're idolaters. Don't you think the hand of the Lord cannot save you? That His arm is not strong enough to save you? Oh, it can. But you've gone to... Men of flesh and blood instead. And he tells them, he tells them, as a result of this idolatry, this misplaced trust, God's going to send them a hail of judgment to, quote, sweep away the refuge of lies, unquote. This is going to be comprehensive and devastating and destructive. And God then promises through his prophet to annul or cancel the covenant with death they made. And he's going to give these rebels, quote, a foundation in Zion, a stone, a, a, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation, and whoever believes will not be in haste. And you kind of go, why haste? says in quoting in the New Testament, it's put to shame. I'll tell you why, because the Hebrew verb for haste can often be glossed as dismayed, which is applied figuratively to emotions. So when you're dismayed, you tend to, and you go all which way, you don't know what to do. So it's really another Hebraism saying the same thing. The thought is this, our emotions, yours, mine, and the Israelites of yesteryear, need never to be all jumbled up or upset at our earthly circumstances if our trust is placed in the right situation, in the right entity. The God man, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be stable if we rest in His promise and His provision. And as we do so, we need never fear a day of being put to shame or a coming day of dismay or disappointment. We have everything to look forward to as the blood bought ones. Everything. Because the rest, the calm, The peace that we currently experience is rooted in Jesus. He is God's chosen and precious cornerstone for His people. I hope we do all understand that. He is our cornerstone. He is that most important part of the building. And all of its angles are set by that cornerstone. That cornerstone plums the whole. The whole building patterns itself off that cornerstone. It is the single most important part of the building, and it sets the tenor. Christ, Christ alone is the perfect, the precise cornerstone, and he has established every parameter of his spiritual house. So let's look very briefly now at the last couple of verses, belief and unbelief. Verse 7, and I'll read through verse 8. Almost done. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So we should ask a question, I think, as we approach this text. What exactly is this honor Peter speaks of? Several things came to my mind as I was attempting to wax eloquent before you first was, how about just the honor to believe, verse 4, as you come to Him. What an incredible honor it is just to be enabled to believe in Christ. That's one. How about the honor to serve, in verse 5, to offer spiritual sacrifices. We're serving the one who served ultimately and finally by His grace. How about the honor it is to know that we will never suffer embarrassment or shame as a result of having placed our faith in the rock, Jesus, the living stone? You know, these honors are the possession of believers alone, right? And they're priceless honors, and they're given by a precious Jesus. We are those whose spiritual foundation is aligned by and held together by Christ, our cornerstone. But there's a rub. There's a rub in this text, and I'm sure you saw it. But for those who do not believe, so there's the believers and the unbelievers, the haves and the have-nots. And I would say for the have-nots, there is big trouble coming for the have-nots who persist in an act of rejection of Christ. If you were a have-not, this morning, you will find yourself in the same position of the religious elites of yesteryear. They're the ones being cited in our text, those builders who rejected Christ, the living stone. They saw Him. They saw His person. They saw His wonder-working miracles. So many things documented for us and brought to life through the pages of Scripture. They saw those things. We just read about them and we go, wow. They saw him. went, Reject! Not being part of that, going to upset my apple cart, topple me out of my position. They were false builders. They were charlatans. They were shams. They were self-serving posers. They were counterfeiters of truth. They had an outward form, but denied the power they are those who trusted in their own works, not the work of God, not the work of Christ, the cornerstone of the whole great big spiritual building. They're building their own thing. They stumbled right over Him. They fell flat on their faces. Because they disobeyed the Word. And they're all around us in our own day. You don't have to go far to find them. Friends, the word is so very clear. Do not reject and you will not stumble. Believe in Christ, the cornerstone, and you will be found acceptable to God. You will find life and you will never, ever experience the pain of eternal death. No shame. Come to the living stone and be built up into a spiritual house. One brief closing thought or two. And this really is closing. Remember how the workers who built Solomon's temple prepared the stone that was used in its construction? It's kind of a neat story here, I think. First Kings 6, it tells us the stones were carefully prepared in advance, in silence, away from the building site. They wasn't silent where they are being prepared. But then they were carried to the site where they would then be added to the structure of that temple. So they were cut, they were measured, they were prepared off-site, beforehand, and then they were added to the growing walls of the temple. And I, I thought that should be significant to us as I was thinking about it. So here we are, we too, living stones, and we've been selected and prepared, what the Bible says, is from eternity past. Eternity past. Here we are. And God has chosen us from eternity past to be built on the foundation of Christ and be a part of his new spiritual Temple, his spiritual house. And now we function together, being added into the temple building, the edifice as the believers, as a holy priesthood who now offers spiritual sacrifices in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what we're all about now, right? We have the amazing position of being called the temple of the Lord, God's temple, 1 Corinthians 3.18 and other places. First Corinthians six, second Corinthians six. And we're we're filled with this Spirit. And he's leading us and teaching us and guiding us. That's exciting to me. The one man wrote of this temple, this spiritual house. This building is a whole invisible church of God, and each Christian is a stone in this building. And each of these stones is called the whole temple. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Now I'm really going to end. The true church of God does not consist of lavish and ornate houses of worship filled to the brim with the brilliant, beautiful, creative works of man. It is not filled with smells and bells and elaborate rituals. The true church of God of which this little fellowship is part of, it consists of Each and every individual who has been savingly embraced by the living stone, and in being so embraced, become themselves a vital, unique, important part of the new spiritual temple the Bible calls the church. My encouragement to myself, my encouragement to you this morning is go and be that church in the power of the Spirit that makes you what you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have been kind to us and that you have called us to be a part of the church. That each and every one who trusts in the name of Christ is a living stone and is a holy priest given work, commanded to do that work which displays the reality of what they are. Father, give us uh, the mind of Christ to think about these things, be reminded about these things, and to go and do the things you would have us to do Bless this local assembly of believers. Prosper them, everything they would be about, Lord. Bring great reward for their efforts, for they are living stones doing your work. In Jesus' name, our cornerstone. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.